Hello and welcome to this, the 40th episode of What's the Alternative? I'm your Tyler, you're the listener, and I'm your host, Tyler Herman, and as I record this episode, it is February 18th, 2022, and I'm coming back at you to tell you a little bit about the recent news in the industry, because while there's a lot of it, as there always is, because life just happens so much. So, Uh, As always, I do want to give a huge thank you to all the people who support on Patreon. It does mean a lot, especially a big thank you to our executive producer, Chris. Thank you so much. The support's awesome. Um, If you want to join these amazing people and support me as well, you're welcome to go to Patreon at the link in the show notes, uh, or just keep listening, just as normal. That's that's fantastic, too. Uh, So in this episode, I want to talk about some of the recent news in the electric vehicle and surrounding industries, because there's some cool stuff happening. And um, yeah, I'm also going to talk about some energy stuff. Uh, I think don't think we have any biofuels in this episode. Um, yeah, just some, just some cool stuff happening. So we'll kind of jump right into it. As always, you can find links to anything I talk about down in the show notes below if you want to do some further reading. And let's just jump into some talk about vehicles. So we have some good news at a GM. GM are planning to restart production of the Chevy Bolt finally um, at the beginning of April. So GM has paused production for like six months now of the Chevy Bolt due to the battery fire concerns. And they've been, they've been quickly working through, well, quickly, as quickly as they can, they've been working through uh, replacing all of the batteries that needed to be replaced in existing vehicles. And they'd pause production until they can kind of solve all those issues and get battery production up to snuff so they can continue making new vehicles. So that is hopefully going to be uh, restarting in the first half of April. Uh, we'll see if that comes to fruition. I think the last the last we heard, um, they weren't going to restart until after February, so after this month. Um, and yeah, it looks like it got pushed back again to April. But either way, this is this is good news for them. I'm glad to see them hopefully coming up on the other side of this issue because, geez, do I feel bad for them about uh, having to pause production on an entire vehicle, their only electric vehicle offering, for that long, that really, uh, in in this beginning period of the industry, we are still kind of in the infancy of electric vehicle industry. To be paused for six months is like an eternity. So, um, in the last six months, what have we seen come out of Ford and all of their production goals ramp up, and and all of Tesla sales and all that sort of stuff? So, uh, good news out of GM. I'm really, really happy to hear it, and I hope that they manage to keep to that that goal. So speaking of Ford, they are planning on making constant iterative improvements to the Mach-E instead of doing yearly updates. Now we've seen this out of Tesla. Uh, we're very used to seeing this out of Tesla. They don't have quote-unquote model years in the same way that other vehicles do, where you know when they can solve a problem or make something better, they just do it. They do it all on the fly without pausing manufacturing of, of vehicles. Um, now one reason Ford cited for this decision is that it helps them inform the production of other electric vehicle lines more quickly than when they do yearly updates. Now this this makes some intuitive sense, right? If you're able to very quickly update your current vehicle and kind of get manufacturing under you and see what those benefits look like, see what the effects of your changes look like, that really allows you to evolve much faster and that can more quickly um you know, allow you to take your learnings from the Mach-E and really quickly apply it to something like the F-150 Lightning or your E-Transit vans or any other electric vehicles that they might be working on. So this makes a ton of sense, especially for a new, uh, kind of a new technology like electric electric vehicles, right? It may not make as much sense for like a gas F-150 because, you know, you're not really iterating that quickly on it. There's not a huge amount to improve. We've been doing electric um, gas vehicles for uh, century now, right? So makes a lot of sense, and I'm kind of glad to see 
a company like Ford being, I don't know, agile, being nimble with their electric vehicle manufacturing. It's kind of refreshing to see. You know, previously we've kind of only seen that through uh, or from some of the new, young, quote-unquote, hip uh, companies. So really nice to see that from Ford. Uh, speaking of Ford, Green Car Reports, um, the publication that I reference quite often in the show, uh, have a first-ride article for the 150 Lightning. Now, there's not much groundbreaking info here. <laughs> the journalist was in the truck for, you know, a dozen minutes or so, and, uh, you know, seems to have really, really good impressions of it. If you're interested in that sort of thing, you can read it. I don't think there's much that was groundbreaking. Uh, but but yeah, you know, generally positive review. It's kind of nice to see that sort of thing. But not a huge amount of new information there. Interesting information out of, uh, or news out of BMW, though. They will be offering two years of free charging on Electrify America chargers for their customers uh, if you buy the, oh geez, their, their naming scheme is horrible. Um, one of the three vehicles, uh, the iX X-Drive 50, the i4 eDrive 40, or the i4 M50. If you buy any of those vehicles, um, bless you, but also you will get two years of free charging on Electrify America chargers. Um, Now, they specify 30-minute charging sessions. In the article I saw, the press release from BMW, uh, I didn't see that there. I find it really unclear as to, like, what the limit like of sessions is like can you just end one session and start it right back up again is it one per day not a huge amount of information out there um but i'm sure we'll get more info as the kind of program rolls out now this is a a sort of thing that i like to see um you know i've talked before about how rivian is kind of frustrating me with the fact that they're going to have a dc fast charging network that uses the sae standard plug the ccs plug that every other electric vehicle uses apart from tesla yet they're going to make their network proprietary um, I think that that's kind of silly. I would like to see something like this uh, as the benefit for buying a Rivian, where it's like, hey, you know, this charging network's going to be open, everybody, but maybe you can reserve charging and say, hey, I'm about to be at this charger. A non-Rivian can't take it for that time slot. Or free charging like this, um, or faster charging, or, or something like that. I think you can get away with offering benefits that do not require closing off chargers. Um, and that's kind of a cool thing to see out of BMW. I know Electrify America is not their own chargers, but these sorts of things, I think, are, are proven ways to add benefits to your vehicle and make it a more compelling vehicle to buy without being exclusionary to other vehicles and kind of dragging the industry down. Now, speaking of, of luxury uh, cars, Jaguar is going to have a dedicated ground-up electric vehicle platform that they're calling Panthera. Uh, now, this is kind of like the Altium thing we've seen seen out of GM, but basically they are, uh, as opposed to retrofitting a gas vehicle, they are allegedly making a completely ground-up electric-from-the-start platform uh, that they're calling Panthera, and they are planning to sell, uh, still planning to sell 100% electric vehicles by 2030. That is kind of their deadline. And Jaguar is a pretty low-volume brand, so not, I don't know, not a huge deal, but I still like to see this sorts of moves from, from even them. Uh, we also have a little bit of news out of the company Lightning E-Motors. Um, they used to be like a hybrid conversion company, but now they do fully electric vehicles. And they're producing class three through six vehicles through GM. So this is like box trucks, some some light transit or paratransit. Uh, so they've partnered with GM to make uh, these kind of class three through six vehicles that are kind of underserved in the electrification space. Um, and they're, they're doing it. They're now producing them. They're getting them in customers' hands. And so that's really good news out of them for fleets. 
One kind of interesting story that we've gotten is out of the company Airstream that makes trailers uh, for camping and that sort of stuff. Uh, They're toying with the concept of a trailer that would have a large battery pack or multiple large battery packs, uh, both for being like off-grid while camping. You know, just having big old batteries allows you to not need to plug into the grid or not need to run a propane generator or a gas generator or whatever, uh, whatever have you. Um, but they also want these battery packs to be able to assist the vehicle that's towing it. So the idea is you're towing it with an electric vehicle and it is electric itself. Um, and you can get some benefits out of that. So there are kind of three different things that they're talking about the trailer potentially doing. One of them is, uh, that the, ta- the trailer might have, um, motors of its own, maybe like a, a motor for each wheel or something like that. And it can do torque vectoring, which is kind of having a a differential torque between um, the different wheels, and that can add a little bit of stability in like windy situations or something like that. That seems like a really difficult thing to to make happen, and it requires communication with, uh, or it might require communication with the vehicle that is towing it. But that is one thing that they say that they they could potentially do. And again, this is a concept vehicle, so we're not we're not doing it yet. But this is kind of a, a possibility they see. Um, another potential solution is for the trailer to use its own electric motors to actually provide like power for the vehicle, like actually drive and provide torque to the ground. This seems incredibly complicated to me because now you need a, a dedicated data interface between the vehicle and the airstream. And that has to be like connected to your acceleration system and your braking system to like make sure that everything's being coordinated correctly. And now you've got you know, what if you're coming around a turn and your trailer uh, has a different like force vector is pointing a different direction than your car? Like that's going to cause some instability on your your back wheels. Like there's a lot of complexity in that. Um, again, this is a concept vehicle. It's cool to be thinking about cool and complicated and difficult problems. Uh, just some of the things that I can think of that are <laughs> would make that very difficult. And then another potential solution that is maybe easier is to have the trailer directly provide electricity for the vehicle towing it. So this is like kind of like an extended battery pack, basically. Um, now, this would still require a software and, and wire interface between the trailer and the vehicle. Uh, this sort of thing isn't completely unheard of. We've seen trailer hitches all the time connect to a car system so that it can have brake lights. Like, I mean, there are electrical connections for trailers, so that's not particularly new. Doing power over it would be kind of a big deal. Uh, And then, you know, I don't know of any electric vehicles that will allow you to drive away while they're charging. Like having actual power going into the battery while the car is turned on is usually something that electric vehicles are like, nope, not going to do that. Uh, So this would require some software implementation between vehicles and trailer. But it seems like the easiest of these three things to do. But I think it's kind of cool that, you know, we're getting some novel solutions to... Well, not not really solutions, like they're not necessarily problems, but some novel pitches happening in this sort of space. Um, this kind of playful attitude with electric vehicles is, is kind of fun to see. So um, be curious if anything ever comes out of this. But either way, they're kind of thinking about interesting things, and, and it's kind of intriguing in that, in that way. We've got some news out of Toyota. They're investing another $73 million into their plant in Buffalo, West Virginia, for the, produ- uh, the purpose of producing more electric motors. Um, they already produce stuff out of that plant, but this is going into increasing their electric motor production, um, hoping to eventually produce uh, about 120,000 rear motor stators per year. So the stator is just a part of electric motor. It's actually the part that stays still. That's where stator comes from. 
Um, but it's a crucial part of an electric motor. It's basically half of it. And um, yeah, 120,000 per year means that they can do 120,000 motors per year. So uh, another investment in their production, which is quite nice. <laughs> you know, if only they would actually, you know, produce electric vehicles, that would be kind of cool too. But I guess you have to have the, the manufacturing capability first. So this is a move that I will go ahead and choose to celebrate. We have news out of Volvo and Northvolt, which is a battery manufacturer. Uh, they're building a plant in Sweden that will produce up to 50 gigawatt hours of batteries per year and opening in 2025. So uh, they've partnered before in the past. Um, so it's neat to see them kind of continuing that and producing even more batteries um, in the relatively near future. So more battery news, the company Ascend Elements will open a battery recycling plant in Georgia by August 2022, so that's in a very near term. Uh, now this is a $43 million investment in the facility, and they hope to be able to recycle 30,000 metric tons of batteries annually. Now they also intend to build a facility to produce cathode materials from this recycled product uh, starting in 2023. So that's in the near term as well. And so I like how much news we're getting around battery battery recycling these days. There's a lot of it happening and, um, and it's really nice that that's happening, again, really early in the transition towards electric vehicles. We are still in the infancy of the, uh, the market and seeing battery recycling being such a huge focus is really nice this early on. So we have um, yet another company, uh, Continental this time, uh, that is trying to offer automated vehicle charging. But this time it's not inductive charging, it is through a physical connection. So no wireless charging this time around. There's an actual physical connection, but it is automated. Now, I am super like unclear on exactly like how this mechanism works. Um, to me, it's like really unclear from the press release, from any article I could find about it, if the charger like moves to the car or, or not. But basically what you have is you have a little pad on the ground and then you have an addition, um, under the vehicle, like you would with an inductive wireless charger and you park over it. Now this apparently can handle a 30 centimeter or 12 inch, uh, like deviance in where you park. So that's a decent amount of, um, slop. You don't, you don't have to be incredibly precise as a parker to make this work. Um, and the like charging connector is kind of conical in shape. So I think the idea is that it kind of pushes up and it will auto align to meet under the car. But again, the actual like mechanical connection to me is, is a little bit confusing. Now I am really only talking about this because the article is hilarious to me. There's a couple of really funny bits. Um, one, it talks about like the alleged, one of the alleged benefits of this charger being that it's a physical connection. So you don't get inefficiency loss um, when doing like wireless charging now, like, it's like, Hey, here's a bit of it. You get higher efficiency in terms of your power, um, your actual power conversion from the, the wall to the, the vehicle. But then they mentioned the Oak Ridge national labs demonstration that we've talked about several times, uh, where they've, they've seen 92 plus percent efficiency in very high power wireless charging through a pretty substantial air gap. So, um, like that's a big deal. Um, they, they call it a, um, a reported efficiency or an apparent efficiency, but like, I mean, they measured it. Like Oak Ridge can measure energy efficiency. I don't really see why there is a little bit of um, uh, uncertainty in the description there. Uh, but either way, like they're saying, the company Continental is saying like, hey, this is more efficient because it's a physical connection, even though I don't think that there's a huge amount of proof that that is necessarily true. Uh, the article also mentions that this seems like a better solution for automated charger charging than the Tesla snake robot. Um, 
which I fully disagree with. Now, if y'all seen the video of the Tesla snake robot that they were playing around with in the early days, it is kind of hilarious. It's like this little robotic, um, snaky looking thing that has a plug at the end and it'll just kind of automatically move to the charging port of the Tesla and plug in. And I actually really disagree that this is a better solution. It may be a simpler solution in terms of the actual mechanical simplicity of it, but it actually seems a, a lot worse because the um, the proposed product here requires you to retrofit your car and add a whole charging system that connects to your battery under the vehicle, which is going to have a bunch of costs. Now, every single car using it also has this, uh, this surface under it that is not aerodynamically uh, designed for the vehicle in terms of efficiency for like drag. Um, and there's also extra mass you're carrying around, which is not great. So like that extra cost of every vehicle has to be retrofitted to work with this, to have the software interface is like a lot. Whereas the Tesla snake robot, like there is no vehicle side modification, nothing at all. It's just a regular old charging port that plugs in. So a lot of complexity on the ground. Um, the, the snake robot automated thing is not easy to do, but it's a way better experience for the consumer and it's a lot like easier to get away with doing because you can do that, you can kind of develop it completely independently of the vehicle. Um, whereas this, you have to de develop it um, in tandem with the vehicle side development. So I just don't see how it's a better solution. Uh, and then this company says that they're going to go for full production of this product in 2024. So we'll see if it comes to that. Um, I'd like for a solution like this to, to happen. I think a lot of people are really excited about this sort of technology. I'm just going to remain skeptical of these sorts of things um, until until they actually produce something that seems to make sense, in my opinion. Now, we've got some deployment news for you this, this week. Uh, Oslo's transit agency has ordered 183 Solaris electric transit buses, which is a huge number. Uh, the model is the Urbino 18, if you're familiar at all with those. Now, this deal with Solaris is worth approximately 100 million euro, which is huge. And these buses are expected to go into service in April of this year, and they will replace older non-electric Solaris models, so likely diesel buses here. Um, and then just as a fun factoid, these buses have a 500 kilowatt hour battery pack. It's a pretty, pretty big old battery. So 183 buses is a lot, um, but not to be outdone. They're, they are being outdone. That's, that's what's happening here. Metrolink in Illinois has been awarded a $5 million grant by Rebuild Illinois to build overhead chargers to support their growing electric transit fleet. Uh, they plan to grow their electric transit fleet to being 30% of their overall fleet. Um, in the very near term, and that'll be supported by these overhead pantograph chargers for their electric transit buses. Uh, and 70% of their fleet is already using compressed natural gas, so much better in terms of, of all emissions types, greenhouse gas and NOx, well, all being those two. Um, it's also better for like particulate matter and such, but we typically don't care quite as much about that these days. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Metrolink in Illinois making some money moves and getting a grant. Really exciting news for them. We have some energy news for you this week as well. The U.S. saw an increase of about 28 gigawatts of electricity generation in 2021, which is huge, um, with over 75% of that added generation being renewable. Um, the top three sources of electricity generation that we have added to the grid last year were 40.8% um, wind, 35.6% solar, and 18.8% natural gas. So quite a bit of new generation and really, really neat to see renewables really spearheading the charge on that. It's really, really exciting. 
Um, it's kind of an interesting story out of Texas with some cryptocurrency companies arguing that they will strengthen the Texas electric grid because they can act as demand side response. Um, now, I'm linking to a Washington Post article about this. Um, the article's pretty fine overall, um, but I will say that I don't like wholesale endorse it necessarily. I just kind of wanted to put it in here as a um, a reference for the topic itself. They talk about a lot of the problems with the assumption that cryptocurrency companies can strengthen the grid. Um, but one of the issues that I have is the same sort of argument I have against saying that we're going to get green hydrogen production, you know, from renewables because there's so much renewable energy being curtailed, being literally wasted, that you can build an electrolysis plant that will use only curtailed electricity. And now it's basically free electricity. Now that could be true, but the issue is that you're looking at the peak excess power which is true with this crypt cryptocurrency as well, you're building your plant for that. But most of the time, you're actually operating below that, right? This would require new generation to come online that would serve crypto companies, uh, these cryptocurrency companies, and they would have to be okay with shutting down operations when the grid needs it, which just doesn't... I mean, that's just a big assumption to make, right? Um, you're asking these private companies who are putting incredible amount of money investing uh, in these crypto mines and you're just going to like kind of trust them to shut down when like you want them to without them putting up some sort of fight now if you put in you know it put into your contract as utility like hey we're going to do this no matter what then yeah you've got the power in that situation but like this is just a really i don't know it's a really tough argument to make in my opinion um the article's got some other kind of parts that it points out as being difficulties with this sort of statement. But we've talked about demand-side response before. Um, we talked about it on the steel industry episode with Zane Voss, um, as well as several other just kind of weekly-ish news episodes. The idea basically being that you can either follow the load by, you know, shutting off electricity generation or ramping generation up and down, but you can also ramp up and down the demand. So basically, if you have some anchor uh, tenants, some big industrial faculties or facilities that can um, vary the amount of load that they're asking for from the grid without too much harm, then you can basically vary their load as opposed to varying your generation and use that to do demand response. There's a lot of kind of nuance in this and it's kind of a complicated topic, but um, but it's definitely a thing that can be done. It's not unheard of. It is done all the time. And this can even be done with like smart metering at homes where utilities might say, hey, if you can run your AC one or two degrees warmer so that we can make sure that we don't have any rolling blackouts or brownouts or anything, that would be really helpful. And then you get citizens to um, change their air conditioning or whatever, and they might get a credit on their bill. So this sort of thing's been done um, quite a bit. But to argue that they're going to strengthen the grid by adding many you know, megawatts of load is a bit of a, it's a bit of a stretch to me. It's a bit of a big statement. So we've got some news out of Duke Energy. They're going to be shutting down all of their coal generation by 2035 and will invest over $100 billion in quote-unquote cleaner sources over that same time period. Um, this is focusing a lot on renewables and like biofuels and that sort of thing. It's not clear if that's like $100 billion purely for renewable energy or if that's like natural gas to take over some of the coal. Not super duper clear on that, but either way, $100 billion investment and this sort of stuff is, is quite a bit. And shutting down all coal generation over the next, next decade or so is awesome news, so love to hear it. Uh, Clearway Energy Group um, has begun operations of a 115 megawatt wind farm in West Virginia, which is going to provide some power to both Toyota and to American Electric Power, AEP, um, a utility up in that area. 
Uh, so yeah, 115 megawatts of new wind. Love to see it. Uh, Saluda County, South Carolina, is also getting nearly 75 megawatts of new solar power, um, which is great. Another huge, huge amount of, uh, of renewables coming online. And again, just love to see it. It's all good stuff. And then the last news item I have for you today is that there is a funding program available uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, through the Congestion Mitigation and Air Quality Program for Level 2 Charging. So if you happen to be in Jacksonville, Florida, or know anybody there, or know any companies who operate there, and they want some Level 2 chargers, there is funding available for it. The deadline is March 30th of 2022, and the program is funding up to $7,500 for both the equipment and installation of these chargers. Um, now, the Congestion Mitigation and Air Quality Program, or CMAC, is a program that has existed for quite a long time, and it is available in, I think, all states uh, for anything that does either congestion mitigation or air quality improvements. So this could be stuff like uh, road infrastructure, all the way down to like alternative fuel vehicles. So if you're anywhere and you're interested in any of these sorts of things and have a good grant program that you want to be funded under a grant that you think might fit here, uh, look up that program. It does exist, and it's pretty great. So that's all I have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed it. And um, if you have any feedback, positive, negative, otherwise, neutral, just want to say hi, want to just follow me on there, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Archduke Twiler. Archduke Twiler. I'm at Archduke Tyler. And uh, if you want to support on Patreon, you can do that there as well. But no obligation. That is fine otherwise. And yeah, I think I'll just leave it at that. I will catch you next time, whenever you inevitably listen again. Because let's be honest, what's the alternative?